Humans, welcome to Kanye's Crazy Publicist. This is episode 38 of your Power Report, and I am Dan. I'm Bam. Hello, I'm everyone. Hello, this is how um, it's great to be with all you. Caesar couldn't make it. He's got, um, what was it, DLC COVID? He got, he got the limited edition DLC Omicron. He got, I, the, Omar, got, he got the Omarion touch. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Um Nevertheless, we are going to hold the fort down on this um, essentially last episode of the year for Power Report. Um, it's, it's been a really insane year, both for the show. Um, the show's grown massively. We've gotten a lot of support, a lot of fans. I greatly appreciate that from um, all of you. I appreciate, appreciate um, doing the show with um, these fellows to my side, Caesar, who is probably in bed somewhere. Um, <clears throat> all the guests who have been on, all the guests who are going to be on in the future. That's been really great. This isn't going to be like a year in review episode. Rather... This is going to be a, we talk about some really bleak shit on the podcast and the shit's going to be bleak probably, but we're going to start with some really fun things that kind of let us know little vignettes of what the world is kind of like right now, I'd say. Um, at least America. I will say this is a more America-centric episode, but um, maybe we'll do a little bit of international news and do some gratuitous Glenn Greenwald dunking, because why not? This is Power Report. <clears throat> but um, firstly, I do want to begin with uh, just noting that to help grow PowerPoint, you can subscribe at youtube.com slash Dan from the internet. Hit the subscribe buttons that are all there. Um, follow PowerPoint on Twitter, PowerPoint dot, uh, sorry, PowerPoint WRLD, or Instagram at PowerPoint.world. Twitter, that's PowerPoint WRLD. And then um, elsewhere on Syndicate 23, the network that you can um, subscribe to at join.syndicate23.co to get bonus content of PowerPoint, especially, um, including uh, bonus content of this episode. We're going to be doing the Audio Face Awards coming up very soon. That's going to be a recap of the year and music. It's going to be really great. Um, you're going to love it. And make sure you're subscribed at youtube.com slash audiofacepod for all those things or audioface.show for all the podcast links. And uh, Power Report and Audio Face, all the podcasts on Syndicate 23 are mastered by Dead Music Productions. So thank you all, Dead Music Productions, for keeping the sound nice and crispy. But uh, moving on, I want to start with the actual proper, um, you know, news of the day, week. Uh, we usually do PowerPoint because it's the stories that matter, the stuff that we really want to say. This is the significant um, news from the moment in time. And I, I think this maybe maybe is the most significant news. Maybe it isn't. This is a little bit of a slower news time, but I want to get into the story because it's hilarious. So um, Reuters reports essentially that um, Kanye West's publicist was behind a pretty deranged plot to um, pressure a Georgia election worker to um, basically admit to bogus campaign fraud allegations from Donald Trump and the Trump administration. So that, that's a lot of things going on there, but I want to read some closures to begin with. So um, starting on December 3rd, so about this time last year, Trump and his campaign repeatedly accused um, this uh, poll worker um sorry ruby freeman um yeah who's a volunteer poll worker in their like 60s 
and accused her and her daughter, Wanda Shea Moss, of illegally counting phony mail-in ballots after pulling them from mysterious suitcases while working on Election Day at Atlanta's State Farm Arena. In fact, uh, the suitcases were standard ballot containers, and the votes were properly counted. County state officials quickly confirmed, refuting the fraud claims. But weeks after the 2020 election, a Chicago publicist for hip-hop artist Kanye West, uh, name now legally changed to Ye, uh, traveled to the suburb home of Ruby Freeman, a frightened George election worker who was facing death threats after being falsely accused by former President Donald Trump of manipulating votes. The publicist knocked on the door and offered to help. The visitor, Trevian Kuti, Cuddy, uh, given, gave her name but didn't say who she worked for. Didn't say she worked for West, a longtime billionaire friend of Trump. Uh, she said she was sent by a, quote, high-profile individual whom she didn't identify to give Freeman an urgent message. Confess to Trump's voter fraud allegations or people would come to her home in 48 hours and she'd go to jail. And so Freeman refused that. And um, I think as any kind of sane person would. But that's certainly very scary. You have someone who's claiming to um, in this uh, political context where Donald Trump is assumed to be trying to attempt a coup of some sorts through any measure he can, through the legal system, through public opinion and pressure to get people in Georgia to admit to voter fraud that was very clearly not happening. And somehow or another, you have like a, a collection of clowns that are good at massaging the media images of other clownish people, other clownish billionaire figures, like we allude to Kanye West being a friend of Donald Trump, doing a lot of caping for Donald Trump, even though he technically was a political opponent of Donald Trump's in 2020. Um, but this is just the tip of the iceberg of the story. I know this story was thrown into the rundown, I think even by C's even, but like, what did y'all think when you were reading this? This is a wild story, man. Like, this is... This is eight levels deep of wildness. Like to have her have the publicist come over and say, Hey, like you got to admit to this fraud that you didn't do, or else there's going to be some consequences. Like it feels like some, like something that a mob would do roll up with the baseball bat and be like, I'm going to knock your kneecaps if you don't say uncle, basically. But it's crazy. And they said that, and she said, I wouldn't give a name for who sent her there. But you go, Okay, you got a number of people who did that. So it's, man, that's, it's insane. I feel bad for Freeman too, that she had to deal with all that bullshit of you do your job, you count your ballots, you do everything right. But the, the right wing in this country is absolutely mental. So they try to do anything that they can to interfere with elections. Ironically, as they always say, there's election fraud, but they're the ones who may need to do the fraud, but to have all that pressure on her, all of that. And this where she actually had to um, she kept renting Airbnbs when I read the article. She kept having to rent Airbnbs all over the place for about two, three months because she was scared out of her mind, didn't use any of her credit cards to try to like erase a trace from behind her because she didn't want anything to track her, anybody to track her and her daughter. So having that is absolutely absurd in this country. Like that shouldn't have to happen for someone who volunteered to go work on um, election counting. So just crazy. I mean, you look at... 2000, 2004, 8, 12, 16, and all those elections that never happened until now. And it, it honestly, it's kind of scary. Like you got this woman, like, although I, I, although I think she's lying, like, I don't think anybody sent her there and she's some kind of like, you know, uh, James Bond African, but like, um, 
you know, she's she's intimidating this person and making these, uh, you know, vague threats. And yeah, like this person has a reason to be scared for their life. Given all these crazy people out here thinking that, you know, she's like the biggest criminal in the world. I was thinking of Ruby, Ruby Freeman. Um, I'm looking on this uh, woman's Instagram here. She's some kind of weed legislative person. Apparently, I don't know. I don't know what's true or not. You never know these people. But um, um and she calls herself a media manipulator, which is, I'm sure that's exactly what she does as a publicist. Um, I'm kind of shocked that Kanye even has a publicist, <laughs> but but it's funny because a publicist job for a celebrity of that stature really is to just, you you get a lot of money to like spend narratives, but Kanye doesn't really need that. So I feel like she's ultimately manipulating him and stealing his money. So I wouldn't even be surprised if at some point, if this story gets big enough and it like gets to Kanye's ears, he might be like, who, who even is this person? Like he, he might even be like, I don't even like, I'm, he might disassociate himself from her. And then hopefully if that happens, we can get some dirt on Kanye because she probably knows some things about him. I mean, if I'm being real, I feel like the Kanye thing is like, oh, there's a connection here and it make, makes the story kind of juicier and random. Um, I don't think it's connected to that story that much. And I don't think it's relevant here. But I did want to show, because I found the clip, that um, apparently it was recorded uh, by an officer who was trying to inform this poll worker about the situation. And he has this publicist woman going through what's saying here and I, what she's saying here. And I think what Bam is saying about not knowing whether this woman was sent by anyone is pretty fair because I I'll let the clip kind of speak for itself, but she seems pretty unhinged, let's say. I think that's just like a, a fair thing. To you sent your damn self, lady. You sent yourself. We would like to um, let you know, first and foremost, we have put in place that um, a way to move on to security. <laughs> I cannot say what specifically will um, take place. I just know that it will disrupt your prison and your participants. I would like to connect now on the phone. So I'm I'm gonna do my best to clean up the audio and post, but just in case. Basically, she's saying that we have 48 hours to get you safe before they do what they may or may not be authorized to do to you. By the way, I'm going to call my buddy Harrison Ford real quick, and he'll like uh, clear clear things up for you. Yo, yo, I, when I saw that, I died. I was like, yo, this lady's crazy. I, I told you, oh, I was like, I was like, where is he going to park the Millennium Falcon? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> swoop up, do smugglers run, pick her up, just drop her off, get you back on the case too. How many how many parsacs will it take? Um, okay. Also, like this lady is. Like you're threatening to kidnap her, 
and you're impersonating an officer of some kind. Like you're 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 impersonating an officer. I Ruby whatever should should sue her. Get that lady in court, dude. Get her in some kind of deposition. She probably don't have no money for real. Get her in get her in some kind of situation where she has to explain herself, not just for our content, like not just for us, not just for the media people to you know, uh, go over it and laugh and make jokes. But, you know, you're threatening, <clears throat> you're threatening someone and you're impersonating some kind of federal agent, yo. To me, I was thinking of um, when you said you're holding them hostage, but also like impersonating someone remind me of the Black China case where apparently Black China was drunk and like holding hostage this like white lady okay. after like Come a on, Coke vendor. We, we're not going to laugh about that little white girl laughing in the elevator, uh, crying in the elevator. <laughs> That was sad, yeah. That was actually sad. She's crying. She's so mean. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, forgot about that. That being said, there are a lot of women who don't end up doing coke in an elevator with Black China. So, like, there's. Yeah, okay. I think cocaine might be involved in both these cases, actually. <laughs> no, no. Okay, if cocaine were involved back in this uh, Georgia case, it would be a lot more interesting. She, she's talking too slowly. This is one of those um, Roseanne Barr Abilify things. Like, it, it's clearly she's, she's. Yeah, go on. Who's that guy next to her too? That's like he's like this is my assistant. Like, yeah, like, he, that, that's intimidating. That's Kanye West. <laughs> I almost said something crazy. Right now. I'm glad I did. I almost said something crazy, but uh, <laughs> I mean, something crazy. It's the last episode of the year, dog. No, no, I'm not gonna do, do it. That. Damn. Like, like that's also intimidating. Like you show up with this guy, you're talking to this lady, all calm, you know, talking about securing you, moving you. Like what? You call Harrison Ford. He's got a whole big hairy monster with him. That's terrifying when you bring Harrison forward. Pause. Um, the, the, the point I can make out of this, and this won't be a long point, honestly, is that this kind of conspiracy nonsense is top down in society, right? Like this person just kind of took it on themselves to go because of my political opinions, because of my uncertainty with the idea of um, Donald Trump losing his power and everything that represents because Donald Trump doesn't just represent uh, Republican power and tax cuts. He represented everything that is starting to happen right now that again, not to get into too much of the dark stuff, but the rising, um, I guess we'll call it white anxiety over place in society and culture surrounding it that you're getting from the fervor over critical race theory. You're getting from the fervor over, uh, integration in schools and all these different things we thought we were done talking about in the 60s and 70s but are now day in day out talking points on fox news and msnbc and all over youtube media etc this stuff has real consequences this stuff is causing people to i mean unfortunately people do what pundits kind of tell them to do and it's a very weird position for me to be like reconciling with like in real time right but when Tucker Carlson says people or adults, parents who have their children wearing masks are child abusers and should be treated as such. And then you're seeing stories of things happening in schools where parents are protesting and getting violent and going to people's houses to protest mask mandates. Well, gee, how do you connect the two? Like, it, it's very clear how to connect these different things. And so what I'm saying on PowerPoint all the time, what we've been saying on PowerPoint all year is that. What these pundits say, what they're talking about, has a very clear impact on the way that p 
people who get lost in the sauce watching these shows too much online and offline boomers on fox news and um like you know junior white nationalists watching youtube they take a lot of this stuff seriously and so there's a responsibility on pundits people in front of these cameras to be careful with their words and what they're saying and also to use their power responsibly but that's also say that this is what we have to watch out for this is now the dynamics in the game plan and working with a democratic party who is too busy with respectability politics too busy with trying to appeal to centrists and moderates when this is increasingly becoming a life or death game for a lot of people who are just trying to do regular things this is a poll worker trying to participate in the democracy that the democrats are not doing a good job of fighting uh, or fighting to protect this is an understanding of what the game is like and it gets to sto- crazy stories like this but this is how the game works bam i know you want to say something well yeah i mean i'm gonna when we talk about the next topic i'm gonna you know bring up that conspiracy culture a bit more too because um yeah it is running rampant and it's dangerous i mean i think i started that off we started off with that like it's these people are dangerous actually you know I, I, I think this woman, uh, Cootie or whatever, is, in my eyes, she's committing a crime. Like, if I was sitting there and that person was saying that to me, I would feel threatened. And it's going to be a problem. Any last words, Sean? No, I mean, I agree with, <clears throat> especially on the sentiment that it's dangerous rhetoric. Like, um, obviously, the next, with, with the B-block coming up, like, We'll get into more of it, but it's scary with all the stuff that happens. I mean, even with um, you saw it with the Rittenhouse trial when he was uh, acquitted off the charges, then you could see that people were saying, oh, look, we could rise up against um, we could do what we want to protesters. Or we're, come, we're coming for you, this and that. And you hear all that rhetoric that people are saying. I'm like, man, these people are serious about it because that's crazy. Like, it's it's scary to be out because you're now you're putting a sentiment to what people do when they try and stand up or they try to protest or this or that, we don't know what's going to happen now again. Like this country is on edge 24 seven. Like there hasn't, you haven't had a break. You haven't had anything where people can just relax and chill. Like for the past five, five, six years, it's just been insanity 24 seven. And it's, it's, it's not good. I think this is a good time to go into so that's on Sandy and where it's heading into. Um, because one of the unfortunate things you're seeing is the insanity is coming largely from one source, and that is the Republican Party. And I can feel very comfortable saying the Republican Party now because maybe in 2015, definitely in 2012 or 2013, um, but almost certainly not in 2017, 18, 19. You can make a case the Republican Party was not just the worst fringes of it, the uh, David Dukes. It wasn't just the Bill O'Reilly's, even though they were increasingly mainstream figures, but that you had, quote unquote, compassionate conservatives, that you had libertarians, (laughs) that you had this whole group of people who supposedly at least tried to play the hand, the Paul Ryans of the world, who tried to say that they had numbers on their side, they had evidence-based policies and public policy structure behind them. but in reality, we're just seeking tax cuts for the rich and protections for um, white identity politics, more or less. Unfortunately, that has only grown, and the establishment of the Republican Party had the option of taking the moral high ground and saying, listen, it's very easy to do this kind of political bait 
to bait racists, to bait people into racial resentment and fear over cultures and things like that. But we as the Republican Party are not going to do that because we've seen history and we know where that leads. We're better than that. Or Donald Trump can get us riding to 2020, can get us a trifecta of the House, the Senate, um, the presidency, and also including getting us some judicial seats and can cement conservative control for decades to come. The Republican Party chose that option. So when I say they're the extremist party, I have no problem saying that. When they have the opportunity, when they elect and don't censure extremists like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lowen Boebert, who um, we're going to talk about in just a moment, um, the Republican Party is becoming the party of these extremists because they are letting these people speak up for them and they're not saying anything in response. They're saying, no, what they're saying is totally fine. We don't agree with it or disagree with it enough to um, call it out. Mainly, there's a video that gained a lot of attention on social media where Bobert is describing a conversation she had with a staffer while in an elevator in the Capitol. <clears throat> she said she saw a police officer running towards them and then she saw Ilan Omar. And Bobert said, uh, well, she doesn't have a backpack, referring to Ilhan Omar, so we should be fine. And she said, oh, look, the Jihad squad decided to show up to work today. So making these jokes about, oh, she's a brown woman, she's a Muslim, oh, she may have like a bomb backpack or something, we better watch out because, you know, scary Muslims bombing the everything. It's total rampant Islamophobia, the kind of stuff that, again, a George W. Bush-led Republican Party never mind all the indiscriminate bombing of Muslims that was going on, would have kind of balked at this open Islamophobia that was happening in a cultural level. There's at least that kind of political correctness that's being led the top by George W. Bush. Of course, it wasn't happening in practice, but we've devolved to the point 20 years later, 15, 20 years later, where Lauren Boebert's saying all these things, and it's an open question of or not whether to censure her or um, otherwise reprimand her in Congress. Um, basically, you're having this fight where you have Democrats like Ayanna Presley, um, who said and tweeted, Today I'm leading a rep resolution to remove Representative Bobert from her committee assignments. Her dangerous behavior is hateful Islamophobic and her dangerous behavior and hateful Islamophobic rhetoric has no place in our society and only emboldens further violence. There must be accountability. And it's an open question amongst Republicans to censure her or to say the comments weren't good, or to remove her from committee assignments, or to in any way set precedent that inciting violence or encouraging misbehavior towards an incivility towards other members of Congress is in any way a thing we want to, you know, I don't know, discourage in the same year where people were motivated to nearly like ram inside of Congress and storm it while they were trying to pick who the next president would be. It's this dissolution from reality that, again, the squad's kind of showing, hey, can we just be kind of normal here and be kind of civil here? And the moderates are barely backing her up. There are no moderates in the Republican Party to speak of. And the Republican Party itself has realized that it will be much easier to court the votes of easily scared racists than it is to actually try to govern the country in any way that makes it tolerable for Muslims, people of color, women of color, anyone who can't fall for these scare tactics of the modern Republican Party, which sucks. But I think, Bam, this was a story you brought in, right? So, I mean, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's just when I heard um, Lauren Bur uh, Burbert, 
Bobert. Lauren Gogert. <laughs> Talking about, you know, she didn't have a backpack. And, you know, and before that, here in the Jihad squad, um, I mean, it, it's really embarrassing, actually. Um, like, I don't really expect anything from these people, but, you know, it's just embarrassing. It's like, God, like, it, it just feels so like banana republic at that point. Like, there's not, there's not one person in the Republican Party who would, like, take a stand in a meaningful way. Like, not, you know, who, who would feel offended by that? Like, there's been, I think, four or seven Republicans that have said something against, uh, you know, that rhetoric, but who actually feel offended. Um, you know, it's not like Lauren Burbert, I keep saying Burbert, uh, Lauren Bobert is talking about, or, or uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is talking about, like, random people on the street. They're talking about people who were elected into office. Like, these people have achieved a lot. And, and, and she's specifically talking about Ilhan Omar. This is a person that has achieved a lot. You know, like, this is a, an exceptional person, regardless of, like, wh whether you agree with her politics or not. Um, and it's also your colleague. And it, it, it's just unfortunate because, like, Lauren Boebert wouldn't talk like that about somebody at her restaurant. But she feels that this is the thing that's going to make me a stronger person in this party to be racist and Islamophobic. Like that's the thing that's going to make my career better in politics. But I'm sure she wouldn't think that would make her career better in like the restaurant industry. And, and that's a shame, you know, like we have to really think about that. Um, as far as Islamophobia goes, like I've seen Islamophobia face to face many times. Um, I remember back in my Muslim days, we had a conference in Yorba Linda, and there were many more, you know, uh, Islamophobic protesters at that conference outside than there were attendees at this conference. I mean, and they were going off, uh, you know, I don't even know who was there. Probably some people were there that are like kind of famous now. Um, they were right up in our face, saying crazy stuff, screaming, just, you know, blood boiling, yelling at us. Um, police were there. It was, you know, it was, it was crazy. And the only thing that made that situation not, you know, become some big violent brawl is because we didn't, we didn't listen, like we didn't engage with them. But if one if one of them would have thrown something or like put their hands on somebody, it could have been crazy. Um, Islamophobia is something easy to ramp up in this country. As we've seen, it became a whole cottage industry in around 2005. Um, so yeah, it's dangerous for, for these two women to be speaking like that about Ilhan Omar already because it's it would be easy for somebody to do something violent to Ilhan Omar. Now, speaking of that, when especially when Trump was talking so much about her and then you have these two women talking about her, these two Congress people talking about her, they won't be happy until something violent happens to Ilhan Omar. Like they won't be happy until something violent happens to her. And trust me, that when that happens because of 
the conspiracy culture that we have now, they are going to say that it was staged. They're going to say that she did that to herself. She hired somebody and it wasn't real. Like, and that's going to be said by high up people. And the night of, it will happen the night of. If there's a video, they're going to be dissecting the video. Oh, look, see, see, look, see, look at this. This was, why would she go down that slow? Why didn't she cry? You know, like it's going to be so much of that. You're going to see so many people taking advantage of violence that happens to Ilhan Omar to say it wasn't real. And they won't be happy until it happens. I, I can't imagine. I mean, we heard that death threat uh, voicemail she's, she's got recently. Um, we see you, Muslim bitch. We know what you're up to. You're all about taking over the country. Don't worry, there's plenty that will love the opportunity to take you off the face of the fucking earth. Come get it, bitch, you fucking Muslim piece of shit, you jihadist. We know what you are. You're a fucking freighter. You will not live much longer, bitch. I can almost guarantee you that we the people are rising up and you will be tried for a military tribunal. I'll let Sean repeat those words. No, I'm joking. But, um, <laughs> but um, I mean, that's not funny. But um, they won't be happy until that happens. And I'm sure she gets messages like that all the time probably more than anybody in Congress, and repeatedly emails, calls, whatever. We have, you know, you have some level of access to Congress people. So, like, I, I can't even imagine what fear she has to live in from people. A brave, brave woman, honestly. Like, so brave. And for her, like... For her to, like, you can tell, like, when she talks about these people, like, she has to do it in a professional way. But you can tell, like, she also thinks these people are a joke. So, like, I I love the way that she responds to it, too. Like, she doesn't even take, like, these, like, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, she doesn't look at them personally as, like, any kind of threat. But she knows there is a threat in society because of their rhetoric. It's great, like... When, when I heard the voicemail that um, Ilhan Omar put out, I was just appalled. I go, you, that is the, the rampant race, uh, racism that is in this country is, is real. And, you know, all, a lot of people on the right right now, they're trying to say racism isn't real or it's gone or this or that. I'm like, the biggest case in point I can show is this, the amount of racism and Islamophobia that is showed at Ilhan Omar. Like, it's sad, but she has to go through on a daily basis. And I give her a lot of credit for dealing with that. So I know myself, I would have said, fuck this shit, and I would have left a long time ago. I've been like, absolutely not. I don't want to deal with this ever. The fact that she just keeps standing up and saying, you know, we're going to fight, and I'm going to keep fighting the good fight and doing as much as I can to, you know, keep people accountable, keep countries accountable, this and that, as much as it is it is a a threat of, of her of her health of her life and all of that it's i give ilhan a ton of credit but these goons in the in the republican party and the freedom caucus that was once the tea party these crazy people like they are the ones that are you know 
on the sauce. They're the ones that are really, truly believe this. There are plenty of Republicans, I think, that are um, grifters that are just trying to get the, the sweet, sweet Trump money, the Trump cash train. Um, but then there are these people here, obviously, Bobart, MTG, and a couple others that truly believe this shit, that they are the ones that scare me. Because the one, the people that really, you know, believe it, believe what they're saying, believe what they're doing, they're the ones that, to me, are the most dangerous because they have a lot of, of lean way on what a lot of other normal folks will believe. They're going to put all this rhetoric out to a lot of other Republican voters and whatnot, and then to rile up more and more people, which is the scary part. Because you saw what happened on, on January 6th, obviously. And another part to what Bam was saying, that, um, saying that if someone attacks Ilhan, that they'll probably try and say that it was fake. You can see that with January 6th. You see how many times they're saying, hey, look, it's the feds. The feds have done it. Look, they're trying to take us down. They're the ones. We were only here doing peaceful protesting, all this shit. I'm like, no, obviously not. But y'all are too deep into the Kool-Aid that there is no – we live in a – I call it post-truth world where it's almost impossible to get out what really happens, but also to get out when we get facts and we actually get facts to get them out to the masses because there's all these people that are always going to have conspiracies all of these different things because they think the fucking world is a conspiracy against them or whatever their beliefs are that these things are going to keep happening like it's it's just it's so ingrained in the culture um that it's it's sad that these things can happen and it's shameful it's very shameful that these things can happen and honestly mtg and bobart like these people need to be out of congress they need to be voted out they need to be or even fucking forced to be removed out because that has no place in in any form of government to see that and it's shameful but i mean you see it throughout the history of the country you see representatives like this throughout the 250 years of the country like you see it constantly um even pre like before the united states was made too like you have all the colonies and stuff you have all of these racist people that have popped up through so you just it's history repeating itself all the time there's just a lot that has to be done it's going to take years and years and years to things to change but yeah shameful the the thing with me is that like it's not going to change it's not going to like it would take years and years to change but i at this point we don't have years and years like the point of no return is basically right among us i fear and <clears throat> i know i sound like bleak and saying this all the time but it's the fact that kind of the way i began this it's that the guardrails that are supposed to exist are not there right now you don't have i mean the republicans are never going to listen to democrats anyways they're going to turn into like a left right party thing of course they were going to do that but you have no moderate republicans you have no like reasonable republicans quote unquote they are nowhere to be found they don't speak up on these things and they don't command any authority on these things because it's very clear the party is going towards donald trump uh, ron DeSantis, uh all the cranks you have in georgia all the cranks you have all over the country it is very clear that there's pretty much nothing stopping them which is like the dark thing about it in the worst thing is on the Democratic side, there's no realization that this is the game that's being played. And so the moderate Democrats are better off allying with the progressives and giving them what little institutional power they have left or else, like I said, point of no return. Um, I just think the situations, because the things we're seeing like this right now within the halls of Congress with people talking 
to their coworkers, elected officials talking to other elected officials, um, representing different groups of people. Um, we are already at this point of no return where if this is what's being modeled for us and our highest levels of society, then this is what we're already seeing bleed out into the culture, but what we're going to see out bleed out into the culture more frequently, more fiercely. And what I'm saying, it doesn't look good, but it underscores the fecklessness and the anger I have with that. that let me see the fecklessness of the democratic party and the anger I have with them for not seeing the urgency of the moment and responding to that moment the same way they have been. There's a recent clip of Hillary Clinton saying, oh, there are these people um, on the left who don't like Kamala Harris, who don't like the things that are going on, because not to get into the Kamala Harris situation, that's a whole different story too, right? But Hillary Clinton literally said in that interview, more or less, like to paraphrase, if you're a Democrat and you don't like other Democrats, become a Republican, which is like, okay, we're back in the 2016 doom loop and we know what happens when you say that. We know what happens when that is your party line. We know what happens when you ignore the, basically the remaining hope that's left in your party, the remaining people who are connected to the actual public who hasn't just disconnected from politics because of stuff like what Hillary Clinton is saying. So I think just time is running out on that. And that's kind of my last word on it. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's, I don't know. For me, I'm just like, what do we do? Like, Lauren Boebert wouldn't be saying stuff like that if it wasn't politically advantageous for her. And it's politically advantageous for her because of the people in the country that support rhetoric like that. So, you know, we don't know anything about Lauren Boebert's, you know, what she believes about policy or politics or anything like that. Like, you know, there's just this thing that the right in this country is just running on being evil and nasty and divisive and racist or whatever you want to call it. And it's, it works for them. I don't know how we speak to the people that are supporting someone like her. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. You know, there's time, time is running out because like those people are, you know, it seems like they may be growing. I don't know. Um, like, I don't know when it comes to like the younger generations, like people that are like 17 right now, or, you know, 16, 17, who are going to be voting for the presidency and stuff soon. But you know, I don't know. Like, I feel like hopefully those young people are seeing someone like Lauren Boebert and and someone like, you know, Charlie Kirk or what was it? What's the dude? Uh, ben Shapiro. And, and they don't like they don't like that type of person. I don't think that that person has to like somebody like Kamala Harris, but like hopefully they dislike someone like Ben Shapiro or Lauren Boebert enough to want to do something about it. To do something, I don't know if it's necessary politically, but talk to their people, talk, like talk to the people in their family or talk to their friends and get like convince those people to not think that way and to not be some crazy conspiracy theorist. I, I do blame Trump for the conspiracy culture right now. I, I blame him. I blame 100%. him and his administration. 100%. But that's what we're not going to get into. 
Can we talk about more conspiracies? Yeah, because now we're talking about birds. <laughs> I don't know if y'all have seen this around, but there's more... Or birds are fake. Birds aren't real. There's posters, there's uh, vans, there's billboards, all these different things that are um, pointing to the theory that birds aren't real. They're just boldly declaring this, not saying much else, and... A lot of people look at this and go, oh, great, another goddamn conspiracy theory that is baseless and makes no sense. Sort of like um, Earth is flat or any of things, chemicals being put in the water or, you know, using horse dewormer as a treatment for a pandemic. But in reality, what you're seeing as by um, one of the brilliant like uh, business culture reporters out there, Taylor Lorenz, is a kind of a note in seeing how Gen Z and a lot of younger people are reacting to the absurdity of this constant culture of conspiracy. Because, borrowing from the article a little bit, is what birds aren't real truly is, they say, is a parody social movement with a purpose. In a post-truth world dominated by online conspiracy theories, young people have coalesced around the effort to thumb their nose at, fight, and poke fun at misinformation. It's Gen Z's attempt to upend the rabbit hole with absurdism. It's a way to combat troubles in the world that you don't really have other ways of combating, says Claire Cronus, 22, a birds aren't real organizer in Pittsburgh. My favorite way to describe the organization is fighting lunacy with lunacy. And so, like, kind of just there, we were talking in a previous segment about um, how do people respond to this? And we're kind of talking about a time when people feel helpless and powerless because of the politicians who have put them in that kind of situation and in this way where people feel powerless to fight against absurdity people feel the best way to fight back or the easiest way to fight back is absurdity um we've seen this throughout history sometimes but this is a modern iteration of it um sean what do you think it's hilarious and i love it <laughs> I, 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 like, I just what what were you gonna say i was gonna ask if you're um subscribing to this theory there are a lot of different principles we're, we're very logical people but they're very logical people but there's some things that we'll get into for power report members that we're pretty staunch conspiracy theorists on that we actually agree with so what are you on this i don't know man like i saw some seagulls they had some USB-C ports the other day and i'm like hmm, maybe i can charge up my bird put some surveillance on my neighbors and shit and, seagulls you know, are hard the up. devil seagulls are hard the devil you know i've always hated seagulls yeah Me seagulls too. seagulls are the worst man like they'll go up they don't give a fuck they'll take your food they'll take your kids they'll they'll, they'll take your car they don't care man especially seagulls, if they got that seagulls used to terrorize us in high school yo <laughs> Me too. seriously Dan, that, I both there's a seagull that like i had a like a jelly sandwich and a seagull just like shat right on it right as it was about to go into my mouth i was like traumatized couldn't eat sandwiches for a damn two years uh, but this isn't my therapy session. Um, <laughs> so why do you say a prayer for Dan eating a jelly sandwich as a child? That's really sad. Yeah, that has happened. Can't um, have no peanut butter. Can't do peanut butter. No, no, no. Jelly sandwich only. Um, but it's just funny because I love the parody of all of the other conspiracies, obviously, because we have, we're a damn conspiracy culture. So some people are actually going to look into this and think it's real, which is hilarious. And some people are going to be like, oh my God, it's actually a thing. And then they're going to realize that it's a joke. That's my, that's what I really want to see is people think it like it's a true conspiracy, get into it and then actually think that birds aren't real and then find out later. Oh wait, no, it's a joke. 
I just want to see that happen. But it's a fun play parody, fun play on words um, to, to mess with people. So I'm for it. Why not? Have some fun. I mean, Life's it's too short of, and this country's bullshit. So <laughs> it's kind of like how the conspiracies used to be. Yeah. Like they were about the government. And but it was like the whole government, you know, mm-hmm. like the whole government's bad and this is what they're doing. They're spying on you and you know, they're, you know, they're putting stuff in the water or whatever, you know, but it was like the government and the thing that just, as opposed to a party, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like like the thing that was so weird when like the whole Q stuff happened was like, it was like, how are these with the same conspiracy stuff, but they're praising the government though, you know, and, but in the government being like the president, like it was so crazy for me to see that because, you know, I was in like, I was coming up around the time like 9-11 and stuff. And, you know, I used to run in some of them truther circles a bit in San Diego. <laughs> um, and we, mm, may or may not, we may or may not have started a 9-11 truth group on campus. But um, yeah, for all them words you say, <laughs> you know, in, but, in Legoland. Yeah. But um, so I like, I've been around like the conspiracy people like a lot and I've always kind of paid attention to like what they're talking about. It gets boring and redundant, but you know, the birds aren't real. I feel like that's also kind of like an old one. They kind of like brought it back because it is funny. Um, But it would, it would be really a shame. Like, like Sean was saying, like, you know, somebody's like actually starts believing it and they're going over like catching these little ba- birds and like checking them and stuff. And like, <laughs> that would make me really mad, dude. Like, don't be uh, molesting these birds trying to find the USB port and like, you know, trying to see if it's actually a robot or not. They're like dissecting these poor sparrows and pi- uh, pigeons back here. Like, I can see on. I can see some people doing TikTok videos of them like decapitating birds. You're like, oh, there's no camera. Parrot shack. Like, oh god, that would make me really sad. Like that's that that would be really bad. I mean, a counterpoint. Think of all the birds that are really good at being able to mimic human voices and just repeat what things are saying, what what was being said around them. Uh my grandma used to have a bird that just repeat the N-word all the time. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's what we needed right now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, did, did, did that bird call Ilhan Omar? damn <laughs> no that uh I, i'm sure that bird has some choice words for barbara lee at one point though the the, uh, at, at the point we forget all jokes um the point we um you were talking about but like hopefully this doesn't like you know the fun doesn't get ruined out of this i think this was a point that was made by the founder of the birds aren't real group um i have his name peter mackendo He's a uh, he dropped out of college around Memphis and created Birds Aren't Real on a Women 2017. Again, as a sort of like powerless response to rampant misinformation. And the fun result of that was that um, and actually he played the character for a while. Like he looks like a fucking young Nathan J. Robinson, if I'm going to be completely honest, which is <laughs> not really a compliment to be real. But um, that that, <laughs> that being said, um, there's a i'm not gonna get myself into more trouble this year um that being said the main thing about this guy is that ultimately after a few years of playing the character he felt that he could say 
listen, I'm doing this as a joke, but can you not understand what the joke is? Can you understand, like, in a sea of conspiracy theories, this is the least ridiculous one. And if, like um, was said earlier, if the currency of the United States is conspiracies, feeling like you are on top of some information that other people don't have that actually unlocks the true secrets of an unfair and increasingly um, un- hard to understand political economy, then birds aren't real is like one way to break through that noise and go, hey, listen, l- listen to this, break out of this malaise you're in of like conspiracy theory here and a la carte pick and choosing your conspiracy theories, Americans. Birds aren't real is like a cry to say, hey, this is a conspiracy about conspiracies. What if like the very basic premises of what we know to be truth isn't real at all? That's kind of funny, right? That's kind of a joke. You can't believe that people would actually follow that, right? Look at your conspiracies more closely. I think a lot of people got them. Um, and it's a good practice to have because there are, I mean, the definition of conspiracy kind of means that it's a thing that can possibly happen. People do conspire to do things. And damn sure the government conspires to do a lot of things, has done in history and continues to do so. But by constantly looking for all of these conspiracy everywhere, you're missing the forest for the trees. And quite frankly, you're making the conspiracies way easier to do, right? Because I, I forget who was saying this. Maybe it might have been um, Jank, honestly. But it, Alex Jones would be the best false flag the CIA could have. Because like at, like every week, he's just throwing shit out there at the wall, getting the, getting the conspiracy cranks who like actually might solve the case, like distracted, like thrown for a loop. That's what they started saying about him. Like, that's what happened. Like, the 9-11 truth community, they they turned on him. QAnon people turned on him because they said he's some kind of, like, uh, a plan. It, it, it ha- well, it has happened to him. He probably ends up getting himself back into those groups somehow. But, like, that's happened to him many times. Well, there's, he probably keeps getting into those groups because these groups are really fucking gullible but like that's that's the fucking elephant in the room here is that once you get to this point in the conversation which i think is what birds aren't real is kind of showing about these satire performance satire is that once you get into this point there is sandy's long out the window um facts and truth are long out the window you could do a lot of stuff with people's brains once you've got people operating on blind faith and trust and so um yeah, I I think it's just a really interesting kind of subversive way to look at the culture and see, oh, some people look at this as a ridiculous, oh, birds aren't real. Like, come on, that's a totally like um made up thing. And they go and believe in their other conspiracy theory, like almost in the next breath. Or unfortunately, because context is taken so far away from these things, we probably will have actual bird truthers out there. And they may not be wrong. Um <laughs> That's what you put in the X-Files music. <laughs> We've been needing some new Power Report outro music. I definitely get some for next year. Um, <laughs> but that does, speaking of self-adulation, does mean we can talk yeah. about... Um, oh, we? Sean, we. go ahead and mute yourself. Okay, bye. <laughs> and now 10 minutes of Dan stroking himself. No, um, I'll keep it to two. <laughs> no. Uh, so on the last episode, PowerPort 37, Barn Burner, check it out. Not just saying that because I produced the fucker. I'm saying that because, again, we 
on the show, try to make news that is impactful, try to make news that focuses on uh, the most important stories, but also try to take different approaches in doing that. A lot of news is very passive. And I talked about this in um, my Dan from the internet video, Bad News. A lot of news is just like meant to fill time. But I see news for what people kind of aspirationally see it as, which is a way to start a conversation. It's a way to uh, oftentimes, especially now with the internet, amplify voices and allow those voices to challenge power or at least other powerful voices and continue the dialogue a little bit further. It's it's the essential extension of yelling at your TV um, when you disagree with it or when something not good is happening on it. But I think a cool thing you can do with news now that I think we're going to tr- continue to do on Power Report is allowing or using the news to force a dialogue or force more of a conversation. Now, one part of that was me uh, circling victory laps on the idea that um, – I was right about Jimmy Dore and how dangerous he could be to the left to misinformation more broadly in America and the American political space. Nevertheless, at the Young Turks, he was given a platform to continue to spew all of that for um, many years longer than he should have. I was right about that. Um, the CEO of the Young Turks finally admitted that I was right about that. And so that was also fun. But another thing I actually did not intend from that episode that went far better than I could have expected was the interview with Owen Higgins on the article about <clears throat> kind of chronicling Glenn Greenwald's softening towards Fox News and the right-wing media ecosystem as it correlates to his number of appearances on Fox News and the right-wing media ecosystem. Basically changing his opinions based on his access, which would fly in the face of a lot of um, left-wing media criticism. And there's a lot of criticism of Glenn Greenwald that we, um, Bam and I especially, have had on Power Report for a long time now. Um, as we see Bam nodding his head there going like, yes, 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 we, we, we do exist now on this show. Um, but the other aspects of Glenn Greenwald being upset, just uh, blindness towards racial justice issues, blindness towards the rise of fascism, the undeniable rise of fascism in the United States, instead of trying to say, hey, listen, that's a strong word. We don't want to use that word in case it's actually really happening. Um, like in Brazil, like with me and my family, that's where it's kind of happening. But even then, it's not really happening. It, it only just becomes caping for fascists when you're trying to downplay what people are seeing with their lying eyes. And a lot of people are wanting to talk to Glenn Greenwald about this. Listen, there's I chronicled debate me bro culture when it very early on started in 2017 and to the point where I was like, I'm over debate me bro culture in 2018. Nevertheless, you have a bunch of major leftists out there who are um, just discovering debate me bro culture for views and clicks and like I'm already past that shit, whatever. Nevertheless, um, it's a tactic. There are no shortage of leftists who are willing to speak to right-wingers who claim that they are censored all the time, that they have forbidden perspectives, that they um, are saying information that the left doesn't want to hear. There are leftists all over the place who are willing to take Glenn Greenwald on, and only recently has Glenn Greenwald been kind of taking the message. I'll I'll recap from the last episode. Um, Glenn Greenwald tweeted that these cowards will use your name in Substack articles, YouTube segments, Hi, Glenn. And proclaim themselves creepy watchers of your work. Talk to like-minded liberals about your flaws. Everything except say this to your face. You can debunk their lives and make them justify their claims. So them there's some fighting words for Glenn Greenwald. He challenged um, 
uh, Owen Higgins, the debate uh, guest on Power Report and also on Jeet Here's show, who is referencing, Glenn Goodall's referencing that tweet, challenged Owen Higgins to a debate. We'll see how that happens. Um, I'll post info about that on the Power Report Twitter, um, should that happen and take place. But I'm saying that very cautiously because um, up north, uh, Canadian channel, who I really enjoy their work and I hope to talk to them next year, the Surfs, um, also got a chance to potentially debate Glenn Greenwald. Uh, they responded to that original tweet saying, hey, Glenn, I watched your latest YouTube video or la- latest interview defending Tucker Carlson and I have a few, question- a few questions. Would you come on my show so I can ask them to your face? And Glenn, because he's in this mood where he's challenging Owen to a debate, he's challenging all these other random people to a debate on his ideas and his principles, says, yes, email me, though I won't agree to confine the discussion to just that. Also include the fraudulent editing you did of your videos interview and videos interviews. Wow, for someone who's a reporter, Glenn Greenwald seriously needs an editor <coughs> to make it seem like I endorse Ivermectin. But sure, let's schedule something. Um, so Glenn Greenwald, feeling very snippy in particular, wants to schedule a debate with the Surfs. Would have been great. The Surfs have a really large um, YouTube and Twitch platform. They do a really good job of connecting um, really large content creators and really small content creators um, all on the left together internationally. Love their work. And they posted, after posturing that people are cowards who won't say their critiques to his face, I challenged Glenn Greenwald to answer numerous critiques I had of his and mine. He agreed. We emailed and agreed on terms and set the time and date for today. And last minute, he backed out. This happens on the left. This happens on the right. Where Uh you get people who will talk a lot of shit, who will say that, oh, you're saying all these things about them to their face on these videos without actually expressing them, and that's cowardly. When in reality, people like me are so far ahead of their game, and they understand that debate culture doesn't solve anything politically, doesn't really change people's minds. And third of all, the people who do the most bloviating about it are scared little bitches who will cower to any possible debate chance that knocks on their door. Glenn Greenwald couldn't get this any easier, honestly, all right? Like, so many people are willing to debate him, but he's cowering in this case because ultimately he knows that if he were to actually get criticism, every time one of these little idiots comes to the left, they get fried. When Steven Crowder and Sam Cedar were actually about to (laughs) debate, Steven Crowder shat his pants because that would end his career. His dad literally prevented him from doing his debate. Wild stuff. so yeah, it's cool to be right. It's cool to have instigated a little bit of this stuff, but it's also cool to see this end kind of how I figured it would with Glenn Greenwald being a coward and being unable to defend his um, Twitter bloviating, which he does to increase his presence to a right-wing audience. Same thing that Jimmy Dore does, same thing that a lot of these former um, left people who now consider themselves on the right wing do all the time. Um that's pretty much all I've got to say because I have said way too much about this, especially being celebratory. So um, what, what do y'all think about Glenn Greenwald being a – y'all use your words. Can, can, can Glenn can, – can we find a clip of Glenn singing or doing something music-related so we can nominate him for the Note of Little Bitch Award, please? Uh, please. <laughs> it's, there's got to be something with his dogs and his kids. We'll figure we'll it out. <laughs> Late-breaking audio face awards. <laughs> I mean, if we say it before we record the award show, that's all that matters. So, you know, I'm telling you, we got to do it. Can't happen. I mean, There's precedent. 
that's kind of crazy. Like, I, I mean, I didn't know it, that any of that happened. I saw like what was going on on Twitter with uh, him and your uh, guest. And I really enjoyed that episode. Um, you know, I really have a lot of contempt for Glenn Greenwald, as I think so many of us on the left do. Like, this was somebody that we looked up to in a sense, and then he just went off the deep end. And it's just really a shame. I He spends his whole life on Twitter. Like, what's wrong with you? It would it would it would behoove him to have some personality, and I feel like he doesn't. So getting into a debate, like you're gonna get fried. And yeah, like I'm not really I'm I'm also I'm not I'm not really somebody that's so into like watching people debate each other. But in in these debates, like you can also create your own narrative from the debate, whatever happens. So if you debate some person who's against you and then like after they're going to like use that content and talk about like you can you can lose no matter what you say. <laughs> so like it even for some for someone like Glenn, like what are you even doing agreeing to debates like you're some like millionaire. You're you're way, way off in some compound in Brazil with some animals like just stay over there and tweet. But that's the thing, too, like with Glenn for me it, it, at some point it just felt like i mean and, and maybe it maybe it wasn't really fair for me to necessarily think like that but stuff was going on here in america that felt like so tense from us like living here and he was like commentating on it from brazil and i just felt like it wasn't fair i'm like you're not here dude like you don't really know what's going on and you're just kind of having these like aloof takes, like, well, it's not that serious. And, you know, why do these people care what Trump says so much? Like, th- like you're not here. And then it's like, well, then how, co- how come you care how, so, so much what Bolsonaro says? You know, like, damn, like, wh- why do you even care then? But I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm here for Glenn Greenwald to take as many L's as possible. I hope he takes many, many L's from my friend Dan. Um, Dan, if you ever end up debating Glenn Greenwald, I don't care what happens. I'm going to say you won. I, I don't care. I'm riding with home team. That That's how narratives work. Um, the only thing I'll say <laughs> is that that was the thing that has been really hard for me to vocalize, but you put it into words. <clears throat> Glenn <clears throat> was speaking to the severity of the political conditions on the ground in the United States and saying that other people of color who were being terrorized in the during the Trump administration in the streets were saying that, oh, no, you're, you're being you're using a little bit too strong words with fascism. And then to see me, the fascism understander, uh, several thousand miles south of you um, from anything you're experiencing right now live. Uh, let me tell you what fascism is and isn't, by the way. He's not really even experiencing fascism that much. Like he's got some real brushes with um, authorities and things like that as they relate to his family, and I, I won't like like discredit that. But he's up in a compound. Like he's not really like going outside down the streets and the favelas and shit. Right? Like he is just like he is insulated as well. Like that. That's my thing. It's like if you're telling us not to care here, then why should we care about the shit you're going through? You like if you're saying like, oh, it's not really that crazy, guys. Like Trump isn't that bad. Like. Okay, then when when they're talking about you know what what could have happened to Glenn in Brazil could have been really serious. 
you know, their democracy is hanging on a string. They're using street justice uh, half the time. You know, politicians are getting killed. Like, you know, it'll it'll be funny going back a bit. I, you know, and and I, you know, God forbid, I don't want anything to happen to this woman. But it would be interesting to see if something violent was to happen to Ilhan Omar, if he would have the same reaction that he was having for Marielle Franco when she was killed Ooh. in Brazil, because that was such a big deal for him. But I'm like, yeah, the same thing that killed Marielle Marielle Franco in Brazil is the same thing that's killing people here. It's the same thing that's like having Proud Boys go stab people in the streets here, you know? That's the same sentiment that happened on January 6th here, fool. So you're like, I, I don't know. I, I can't talk about Glenn, I get mad. I, I don't want to do it. I quit, I'm out of here. Sean? <laughs> you go, that's fine. Fuck I mean, Glenn. I it's pretty simple. You guys said enough on it, so he pisses me off all the time too. Because anybody who flops, flip flops like a dead fish, um, of going from left to right and this and that. My thing with Glenn, I'm like, you're a journalist, dude. Why do you pick Twitter fights? Like, you got better shit to do than to pick Twitter fights. Like, I, how am I more of an adult than you in my mid twenties than you are now he, with the family calling, shit? He, he's calling some woman racist because that woman said, "I feel sorry for your kids." And he's saying she's racist now. Like, what are we doing, dude? Like, yeah, everybody feels sorry for your kids. Yeah, every, I feel sorry. Feel sorry for your kids. God sorry damn. for your kids. You're you're a lunatic, and you have no principles. How are you going to raise children? Are you going to say, "Oh, daddy's just pretending for the social media"? Okay, th like that's what you're going to tell them. Okay, that's fine. You're just an actor, but that's how I, we look at you. Like, we don't like. I'm taking him serious in the sense that, like, he has a lot of influence. But as someone who, like, like you have no principles. Like, you're pretending that you're a serious person. Like, yeah, like, you, you just flip-flopped. And it's like, it, it just seems like you're doing it for money and attention. So, yeah, I feel sorry for your kids, too. It has nothing to do with race. Or you being gay. Nobody cares. I was raised by gay parents. Nobody cares about that. We think that you are a shit human, and you are, and that's what it is. Yeah, that's pretty much that's that, that's that's the long and short of it. I mean, he, he was <laughs> like getting into Twitter feuds on his young kid's birthday. Like, <clears throat> again, you got you got better shit Dan, to do, Dan. man. <laughs> Officer Dan over here really clocking Glenn. Okay, <laughs> we 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 were. <laughs> this is a whole thing, is because like everyone was like, wait a minute. He posted earlier this morning that it is his son's birthday, and he has spent every like hour on the hour since then on bullshit Twitter feuds. And it's just like, yo, I know we we know what time it is in Brazil. It's like it's been the morning, it's been the afternoon, it's still the nighttime. Is is he going like, Daddy? Why are you on your phone all the time? Like, what's actually going on? I hope his children grow up to resent him fully and never speak to him again, and like move out and be like, bye. I hope that happens. I'm down. His, his, his kids are going to work for the Blaze. I, you know, Glenn, Glenn did good work when it came to Brazil. Like, he did good work. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't want to say just him. I'm sure it wasn't just him. But, you know, he had a lot to do with that. Um, mm -hmm. and, but, but I guess that's what, that was when he was with The Intercept. Mm -hmm. But even now, you have people in Brazil that are, like, questioning him um, for for his decisions. Like, 
actual leftists in Brazil, you know? Um, so I don't know, like, I, you know, it's just like, what are you gonna, like, for me, it's just yeah. like, be honest, like, don't ride the fence. Like, don't be some like, you're, you know, you're loving the left in Brazil and then, but up here you're like courting the right. Like, I don't like disingenuous people. Like, just, just be who you are, you know? And be honest about it. Cause, cause really, I guess he thinks he's fooling people and maybe he is fooling some some people, but you're not fooling me. I, I don't think that if if I had to guess, like most of the people that like Glenn, I don't know how they vote necessarily, but they have like right wing tendencies inside them, and not just like the dictator tendencies, like uh, our Belgian friend in the middle. Well, well there's well. Um... And that that that's a whole different kind of situation. But that's to go into what Sean was saying and to go into what you just said, Bam. Like that is the audience that Glenn Greenwald is courting now. That's what he has time for is to build his audience, build his subscriber count, his paid subscriber count off of people who are distrustful of the government, distrustful of large powers. But it's convenient that there are these people who just came off of um a president who is conditioning them to be conspiratorial of everything. There are a bunch of lefties who they can say hey they're from the left they left the left though because of all the reasons donald trump disliked the left and they're screaming and angry as well i can give them my money and not feel like and i I can get this false sense of listening to both sides because that's really what glenn greenwald jimmy Dore, these kind of audience people give they give people the self-assurance of feeling like they are have a balanced media diet. Like, oh, I listen to Joe Rogan. He's he's a lefty. Like that that same kind of same concept we were talking about. How about how these people say they're one thing and the idea that they are some counterculture like person is part of their brand, is part of their cachet, but they're just bring on right wingers. They're just rebranding right wing talking points and occasionally smoking weed here or there. Like it's it's nonsense. But I think overall that mantra of just be yourself. <clears throat> It's something we can go into 2022 with um, because, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting year. There are going to be a lot of fakes out in politics and in media. But I think if we respond to that by being ourselves, we as the left, we as people um, coming together to fight the power, I think that the people who aren't engaged in politics but are going to see the coming situation and realize they have to pick a side really fast – are going to be more comfortable to know that there's a side of people who are true to themselves, a side of people who are honest because people get disengaged in politics because of all the bull crap, because of all the disingenuousness, because of all the dishonesty. And if there's a side of people who are going to be honest, they are going to be true to their politics and how they live with it, then that will gain trust. And that trust will beget solidarity that the powers that be won't be able to ignore more or less so that's a lot of what we're building here and this episode isn't done by the way if you're listening to the free version yeah it kind of is and that's kind of the end for um powerpoint for the rest of the year but we are doing an extra block that you can um get right now if you uh become a member by going to join.syndicate23.co where we're just going to talk about what we feel overall about 2022 going into it there's a lot of things we're worried about, but maybe there's some things that we're optimistic about. So you can get that uh, very soon. Um, in the words of Caesar, 
Um, I'm sorry I missed this episode, but Happy New Year 2021 Power Report. He said New Year Happy 2021 as though like we're celebrating this Jesus year. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm gonna and I'm and I'm gonna read that typo on air like a goon because <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> so, um, no, no. Uh, but Caesar will be back on for New Year's episodes. Well, I'll be back on for New Year's episodes. We'll have um, a lot of the guests that people liked from the previous um, episodes of Power Report and more in the next year. So, uh, thank you all for listening um, in the free version, and we'll talk to you soon. Love y'all. Bye.